0: Friends, we are indeed in Luke chapter 24. We're reading his account of what happened this glorious Easter Sunday. And you'll remember that as Carly read, the women, they were the first ones to find the empty tomb. Jesus greets Mary. Then Jesus appears on the road to Emmaus and speaks to the disciples there. And then we find him in verse 36 as he appears in the upper room to the rest of the disciples that were gathered there. So I'm going to pick up reading in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Let's pray together. Lord, we speak to you as you are alive and ascended and reigning and present and breathing life into this room and into the truth of your gospel that's affirmed by your Holy Spirit, that's held in your Father's hands. And so for the miraculous work of these eyewitnesses 2,000 years ago to bridge the gap to our uh, doubting hearts this morning, the triune God is here moving, pressing, and making this possible. So we truly entrust ourselves to you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I love this little paragraph. And basically, I just want to make a few observations about it. What we're seeing here, what Luke is reporting as it was told to him from these earliest witnesses. I'm going to make four observations here. And number one is the most simple, that Jesus appeared, okay? And I get that from verse 36, which says, Jesus himself stood among them. Jesus is here. Jesus appears. Now, I want to compare the way Jesus appears after his death to how, say, Elvis appeared after his death, right? Because there's a difference. I've been spending a lot more time thinking about this than I should, but you can get on some conspiracy blogs and learn about Elvis sightings, and there's a lot of them, and there he is buying a ticket to Buenos Aires, and there he is at his favorite restaurant, Burger King, and he's eating a Whopper. There he is in the movie Home Alone, which I missed the first 16 times, but he's in the airport, he's behind Macaulay Culkin's mom. and I'm digressing here, but, but, but that's how those appearances come to us, right? Uh, Elvis sightings sound like Bigfoot sightings. It's grainy photos taken by people who don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> Jesus doesn't do that okay? There's no, like, a disciple rushes in and says, man, I thought I saw Jesus at the market. No way. I saw him yesterday on a hill, and when I looked again, he was gone. It's none of that stuff. Jesus appears, and he lingers. He's here. He shows up here. He shows up elsewhere. He's in different groups of people. He spends different lengths of time. He's in different locations. But wherever he is, it's not a a blip on the screen. He appears and he lingers. He's not in a rush to show that he is alive. Number one, Jesus appears. Number two, naturally, Jesus' appearance causes a bunch of doubts. I take verses 37 and 38 to be major understatements. It says, but they were startled and frightened. And Jesus asked, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, my family's on a kick right now of, um, we're doing a year long one second video clip. There's an app for that. And we got into scaring each other on, the, on video. So like, there's nothing that makes me happier than hearing my kids happily play behind closed doors, bursting into the room with the camera, and ah, and everybody runs, everybody scrambles. So we've been doing that to each other in our house. Mom's off limits, nobody can scare mom, but everybody else we scare, and I've got some great videos to show on Sunday sometime, and in a wedding montage. That's how I picture this scene, right? Jesus doesn't knock on the door, he doesn't prepare them for anything, He wasn't there, and then he's there, and he announces peace to you. And the disciples, I picture them spitting water and stumbling over tables and saying, what is happening? And when Jesus says, why are you troubled and why are you doubting, they want to respond, because there is a dead man in my dining room. I saw you dead, and you are alive, and you're standing here. Of course I'm troubled. Of course I'm starved. But that makes this account ring true. When Jesus appears, this isn't a clean story. There aren't backslaps and high fives like the end of every Power Rangers episode. This is a raw account. This is a troubling account. This sounds like when Jesus was asleep in the boat and the storm raged and almost killed the disciples and Jesus got up and he rebuked the storm and it went completely silent. Nobody shook Jesus' hand and said, good job. They said, who is this man that can calm a storm, the waves and the wind? And what am I doing on a boat with him? I picture that raging in their hearts right now. I'm not signing up for this. I saw him dead and now he is here in our midst and you get a raw, unedited version of the disciples raging with doubt when they see Jesus in their presence. That's helpful to us because I say to you this morning, if you don't have any lingering doubt about the resurrection, like you've never doubted that this is possible and literally true, I would be worried about you. I'd be worried that you don't understand what we're talking about. I'd be worried you're not picking up what we're putting down here, that Jesus died and was dead and rose again from the dead. It's okay to have curiosities, doubts, concerns, suspicions, wonderings about this. But as those find you, even this morning, this day that you're not supposed to have any of that, I want to encourage you with a couple of things. Number one, if the idea of Jesus getting up physically from the dead sounds doubtful or suspicious or hard to believe, you are in good company. Everybody in the church has wonders and doubts about this. Even the people who saw it first, even the people who were able to to hear Jesus, see Jesus, touch Jesus had those kind of doubts. So if you have them, they were shared with the earliest, earliest witnesses of this thing. But number two, if Jesus rising from the dead feels uncertain like it did to these first witnesses, our doubt about it doesn't make its reality any less true. It is an objective reality outside of our hearts, outside of what we're feeling at any given moment. So like if you were with us yesterday at the church picnic and you had a grand time playing, and you were about to go to bed at night, and you had this doubt creep into your heart, like, what if the sun doesn't come up tomorrow, and this is it? And you stayed up all night worrying about that and thinking about that and racing to your window that morning to see, sure enough, the sun is here. The doubts in your heart didn't affect that reality one single bit. It's going to go on, rising every single morning until Jesus returns. And the same reality is true of the resurrection Listen to the words in this paragraph. They include startled, frightened, troubled, doubt, disbelief. And how does Jesus respond? He says, pass the fish. (laughs) I'm going to pound some fish. Y'all go on doubting and disbelieving. You guys figure this out. I'm here. I'm eating. And you guys are going to catch up. That's the reality of the resurrection. It exists outside of us. And even if it takes a while to thaw and warm to this idea, Jesus will go on being resurrected. He will be, go on preparing a place for us, even if we doubt, even if we're troubled this very morning. So Jesus appears. His appearance brings all kinds of doubts. Number three, Jesus appeared bodily. Bodily. We need, to, we need to emphasize this. The text goes to great pains to prove that Jesus is alive in his physical, fleshly body. Verse 37 says, the disciples naturally, when they saw him, thought they were seeing a spirit. Because it's not like people in the first century didn't know that dead people stayed dead, like before science and before the enlightenment and before all these, you know, whatever we've discovered today, it's like they believed in kind of witchcraft and that kind of stuff. No, they understood that a dead person stays dead. And so when they see a dead person, they naturally think this this is a ghost. This is a spirit. This can't be a physical body. And Jesus knows that. And so in verse 39, he says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see me for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He shows him himself and then he doubles down by asking for food and they give him a piece of broiled fish, which I take to be biblical evidence that nobody wants a honey-baked ham on Easter Sunday. Nobody likes that, not even Jesus. But I also take it to be biblical evidence that Jesus is alive in the body because a spiritual ghost cannot eat physical food. This is important, church. We can't get around this massive obstacle of the bodily resurrection of Jesus because if Jesus didn't actually get up from the dead, we don't have salvation. There is no salvation possible. The Apostle Paul will go on to say this in 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus did not get up from the grave in his body, then our faith is futile, it's worthless, and we are still in our sins. Because if Jesus died in the body, and he got up as a ghost, then he did not defeat death, but death defeated him, and death has the ultimate word. So objectively, we are saying this must be true, that Jesus rose from the dead in the body. But more than that, we're saying that as a believer, we must receive that by faith. There's a lot of doctrines about the faith that you don't have to understand to be a believer. There are huge questions that we have and there are things that we're going to learn later in our Christian life. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is not one of them because to own it is to receive him by faith. I take that from places like Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You will be saved. It's not enough to say as a born-again believer, I'll go with you this far, but not all the way. I believe in the memory of Jesus, but not the bodily resurrection of Jesus. You must believe that, hold that to be a born-again believer. We are not here talking about the resurrection of the spirit of Jesus or the memory of Jesus or the soul force of Jesus that warms the heart of everyone who's sympathetic towards Christianity. We're not here for a memorial service on Easter. We are here for a celebration service, and we are saying something very specific here. We are saying that the God-made man, Jesus, when he was 30-something years of age, was arrested, tried. He was put up on a cross where he died, and he was made sure to be doubly dead because he was stabbed in the side with a spear. And when his body was taken down on Friday, it was wrapped in a shroud. It was accompanied by 75 pounds of spices. It was parked in an unused tomb, and it stayed there until Sunday. And then something happened. Something inexplicable happened. That lungs that weren't breathing began to breathe. That a heart that wasn't pumping began to pump. And Jesus in his physical body got up, had a heck of a time taking off the shroud and folding it nicely and leaving it there to be found. And he appeared in the disciples' dining room scaring the broiled fish out of these brothers because he is risen. He's alive. That's what we profess this morning. That's a very specific, miraculous, profound truth that if it is not true in and of itself, and if we do not receive it by faith, we don't have salvation. Jesus appears. Jesus causes all kinds of doubts. But make no mistake, he appears in the body. So that, number four, Jesus' appearance might bring peace. You see that in verse 36, when Jesus stands among his disciples. First words are really important. And this is what he chooses to say to them. Peace to you. Now, I take that to be hugely significant because here we are on Sunday morning and I can't help but remember the last time Jesus was with his disciples, Thursday late at night going into early Friday morning and really the last moments he had with his disciples. And do you remember that Jesus is telling them something awful is gonna happen? And do you remember what the disciples were telling Jesus? We will not leave you. No matter what happens, we will not leave you. Doesn't matter if we're going to be arrested, doesn't matter if we're going to die, we, Jesus, will not leave you or forsake you. You can count on us. And then Mark records what happens next in the Garden of Gethsemane. The moment they arrest Jesus, Mark says, they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. What a humiliating moment for the last time that the disciples were actually with Jesus. And when Jesus shows up on Sunday morning, you've got to imagine he's got a lot of ammunition for what he wants to talk about you know when your friend is supposed to pick you up at 5 and it's like 5:20 and 5:30 530 and 5:34 and they're not there and you're sitting on the curb and you're thinking of your opening line cuz you want it to be as calm and as vicious as possible Hey, where were you? Everything okay? That's kind of what I picture Jesus being able to do when he sees his disciples. Hey, guys, y'all okay? Because we were together a couple days ago, and you said you weren't going to leave me, and then at the worst moment of my life, you ran. One of you ran away naked, and I'm just worried you caught a cold. You guys okay? I wasn't okay. Glad you guys are okay. But Jesus doesn't have time for passive aggressiveness on Easter. Instead, he shows up with this word of incredible grace, peace to you. In the Greek, that's one word, and it corresponds to the Hebrew word shalom, peace, which would have been the everyday greeting that Jews would give to each other, but here it is pregnant and bursting with theological meaning because shalom peace is not just the absence of war it's used throughout the old and new testament as referring to wholeness and well-being and it makes us think about that great priestly blessing from Aaron to the people in number six the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace when Jesus appears to the disciples, he doesn't have a word to shame them or condemn them or judge them. Instead, he comes to them on terms of hard, won peace. That's a word for us this morning. Against that inner voice that condemns us, and says this gospel sounds too good to be true, it probably applies to other people in this room, but not to me. Jesus speaks these words, peace to you. And against the doubts in our heart that we woke up with this morning that said, I know I'm supposed to come and sing loud, but I have a really hard time believing that this really happened, that these witnesses really saw it, Jesus appears and speaks this word of grace, peace to you. And against the fear that there really is a God of the universe who knows everything, every thought, word, and deed that I've ever done, and I worry that he's going to bring that with him on that last day when I see him face to face and hold me accountable for those things, Jesus says to us, peace to you. And against the conflict of us pitted against each other, the things we've said against another person, we can't unsay, the things that have been done to us, Jesus again speaks this word peace to you, and against a human history that feels like it is bent on destroying and devouring itself with hatred and war, Jesus speaks this eschatological Easter pronouncement, peace to you. That's his word, the word of peace. No wonder the apostle Paul, when he goes on to do his ministry and write 13 New Testament letters, begins every single one of his letters with this Easter word. And I mean, Paul is writing to a bunch of different people in a bunch of different situations. He's writing to a pastor that is struggling with fear. He's writing to a church that is in a stranglehold of sexual addiction. He's writing to another church that's about to wander away from the faith. He's writing a hard letter to a brother that's going to tell him to unhand the slave in his care. He's writing to a brother that he's going to send to do ministry in a place that they don't want him there. And in every single one of his 13 letters, he begins with this most precious of Easter words, peace, peace to you, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a hard, long, precious word for us. But I wanna close with this idea with a question asking, is Jesus's Easter peace personal to you? Has it gripped you? Do you know it's available to you? Jesus did not die and rise again from the dead to put peace on the shelf that's kind of available when you need to grab a stash of peace and have it in a particular situation. Jesus's peace is abiding, staying, personal peace for you in the gospel. That's how this works. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was taking a hike and I was out in the mountains and I came across a waterfall and there was like this um, boardwalk thing with a railing there and it was a beautiful day and I just sat myself down. I had a baby Ruth and I had my Bible and I just spent some time with Jesus there and it was beautiful. And while I'm there, I'm just looking at all the just kind of graffiti and stuff on the railing and you know, someone took a Sharpie and drew a, Panda Bear and some other stuff, and then a bunch of people etched things in the wood. You know what I'm talking about? The, uh, the heart with the initials, me plus you equals love, and nothing says love like vandalism, and so, you know, I'm just taking it all in, and I happen to see a heart that's, like, pretty clumsy. It's, like, a blocky heart. It's not one of the smooth hearts. It just looks like, you know, it is not very nice, and it's straight lines edging around, and is JD plus MJ. And I think, all right, that guy needs to work on his hearts. And then I look over on the railing and I see another blocky heart and I say, that's weird. I just saw one of those and it's JD plus somebody else, MK. And I kid you not, over on the railing, because now I'm up here searching this thing, (laughs) there's another blocky heart and another JD plus I am. Another person. And I'm sitting there thinking, who is this sleazeball JD who's taken every girl in his high school down to the waterfall? <laughs> baby, I love you. My love for you is eternal. <laughs> Let's make it official. Give me a dull knife and some wood and we'll, we'll vandalize something. Two weeks later, baby, I love you. You're the one for me. I mean, who is this guy? Our hearts are fickle. Our hearts are adulterous. Our hearts look and wander and think they found something and then run to something else. And they are restless in and of themselves. And so when we think about our offerings of love and peace, we can't help but project it onto Jesus. And I tell you, that's not what he's bringing here. There might be a little JD in every one of us. There is no JD in Jesus as he appears in the resurrection. The peace of Christ is no fickle thing. Doesn't change, doesn't abandon, doesn't not make up its mind and move from person to person moment by moment. Jesus' peace is a staying peace because it was planned from all eternity. It was designed by the Father himself. It was brought about in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It has been eternally secured for those whom it lands on. This is not a fickle thing. This is an eternal thing. And if you will open your hands and receive it by faith, owning your sin and trusting that Jesus has died and risen from the dead to take your sin, he gives you peace. Praise God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you, but we only love you because you first loved us. And in this marvelous design, you have offered yourself for us on the cross to take our sin. And when you rise from the dead, you bring this new and precious gift, forgiveness of sin, the filling of the Holy Spirit and your peace. I pray we would own it, enjoy it, celebrate it, live in it this day and these coming days as an as a act of worship unto you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.